What the media never tells you is there are 100,000, 120,000 Ukrainian troops at the Dnieper River. Now that's the dividing line between East and West Ukraine. There was a coup, a regime change coup, pulled off by people tied to George Soros, to Victoria Nuland. Biden was the point man for this for the Obama administration in 2014. And they used the muscle of neo-Nazi, actual Nazi militia units in the Maidan Square to pull off the coup. Look, what's happening is that Russia is opposed to the Great Reset because the Great Reset is a policy based on taking away national sovereignty. The Great Reset basically says that central banks will take over not only currency and credit policy, monetary policy, but also spending policy, fiscal policy. In other words, the central banks, who are really arms of the biggest private banks and financial institutions, are going to be given the power that used to be in the hands of elected legislatures. With the global economy being in shambles and central bankers moving towards a reset, it's never been a better time to protect your wealth by owning precious metals. Contact Andy at milesfranklin.com. Tell him Sarah sent you. He promised me he will guarantee you the lowest price anywhere in the country. Remember, email Andy at milesfranklin.com and tell him Sarah sent you. It's never been a better time to protect your future than now. Welcome to Business Game Changers. I'm Sarah Westall. This show, you're going to be hearing some things that I'm sure you haven't heard many other places, if anywhere. And it's something that we all need to be talking about. We need to understand how the Federal Reserve and the Central Bank fundamentally affect us. We need to stop these COVID mandates and turn that part around. I mean, they've bankrupted 40% of our companies. They've, they're killing people. They're, you know, the children are, are being delayed. We have to stop that immediately. But then, and at the same time here, we have to end this Fed and bring in our own bank. Look at how much is happening right now. Look at 2000, this graph I'm going to show you. 2008 compared to right now. 2008 pales compared to now what they're doing. I'm telling you, this central bank is killing our country. And if we change that around, they wouldn't have the money to be blackmailing and paying off these hospitals to kill people. They wouldn't be using this money to invest in all these assets. You listen to what they are doing with this money that is tr the trillions that they're getting, and you'll hear that in today's show. This should be something everyone is angry about. We just have to end this Fed. People need to realize this. I did a show with Kevin Annette, and it aired right before this. And he was part of an international court. He's not the only one. There's a group of people doing this international court. They have lots of witnesses. He's not even on the docket and the court record. But I published it in the show and people have access to it. it and what I want to say is that this is something that's a tool that anyone can use internationally. It's 75 names of people who need to be arrested for crimes against humanity. And it's lawful according to international law. Of course, in the United States, we have such a corrupt system. Many countries have such a corrupt system. And why would they arrest the people 
who are they're serving. I mean, the people who are on this list, the 75 people, run these corrupt systems. But I got to tell you, as more and more people die, there are countries out there that they know they can't travel to because they will likely get arrested. The Native American nations in Canada, they were ready to arrest Pope Francis, and so he didn't go to Canada on his normal trip. They know that they can, countries know they can act out on these international courts according to international law. Will they do it here? If more people die, then the individual states can use that tool to arrest people. I, I think so many people don't understand the paradigm of what our international laws and what our rights really are. We've been under this tyranny for so long that we've forgotten. I mean, we, we never forgotten. We never knew. We've been trained to be obedient and submissive and to just follow. And we have, we're free people. We have the right to arrest tyrants who are doing, you know, killing our, our family members, killing our neighbors, and then forcing us to do things like, you know, these mandates. The Fed here, how they're printing out all this money and giving it to uh, banks that we are going to be responsible for and buying up assets. You got to listen to this show. You got to listen to also what's happening in Ukraine. The coup, you know, Biden and Obama and company, this is what they did in the United States. This is their second coup, probably more than their second coup. They did another coup, Soros and company, in Ukraine. So they're experienced coup country takeovers, and that's what we have right now in the White House. So this is a really uh, important, and it was, it was a great conversation for me. I enjoyed talking to Harley. I don't agree with Harley on everything, but, man, he really is good with understanding the economics and, you know, what's going on internationally and who's running the show with that. And I really appreciate his input on this. And before you get into this show, I want to remind you, it's two, it's long, it's two uh, parts. And so remember to watch the second part. And the other thing, I want to thank everybody who shares my shows on different websites and uploads my shows. That's really helping. It helps with the censorship. There's a few of you that do that on Before It's News. And thank you so much for doing that. And when you put it up on other platforms as well that I'm not on, thank you so much. Uh, I just, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I'm so used to being censored. My voice is is a little hoarse. It's because I'm still having this lingering cough. I'm working with Dr. Glidden and um, I'm taking my C60 and things, but I just, I still have this lingering cough. It's because when I was young, this is my theory and he says it's a good theory. I was surrounded with smoke. My parents smoked and I used to get bronchitis all the time. So I think it's almost like an allergic reaction now at the end of a cold. I hardly ever get sick, but this time with what's ripping through society, I got, which I'm kind of glad I want these natural immunities. But anyways, okay, please go visit my website, sign up for my newsletter, sarahwestall.com, share that newsletter with others so they can sign up and please support my affiliates. That's how I support this show. And I also want to tell you that Harley stays after for my members of SarahWestel.tv and Ebonier for an exclusive. So be sure to watch that if you're a member of one of those. If you're not, you can always sign up at SarahWestel.com. Okay, let's get into this show with Harley Schlanger. Hi, Harley. Welcome back to the program. Hi, Sarah. Good to see you again. Yeah, I'm so glad you're back because I need to talk to you on 
this war drums and how it ties to the economic collapse that we're seeing because you know i just wrote an article which i shared with you because i have you as the your analysis at the end of it but the point is is that in the past 100 years or so every single economic reset has been accompanied by war or a major crisis that you know like a cold war or something but all the major wars have accompanied a reset and every reset has accompanied a war-like situation or a crisis. And so it's just what happens every 21 years is about the average and we're at 35 years. So they've spread, stretched this out for a long time. So what is really behind this war drums? I mean, cause it's serious. Russia has a hundred thousand troops circling Ukraine. Well, let me give you a little bit more of the background of what's actually happening with the Russian deployment because the Russians are deploying troops inside Russia. And the US is telling them not to deploy troops inside Russia on the border with Ukraine. And yet we say the Russians can't tell other countries what to do, but we can tell them what to do. Now, why do they have troops there? Well, what the media never tells you is there are 100,000, 120,000 Ukrainian troops at the Dnieper River. Now that's the dividing line between East and West Ukraine. Western Ukraine is, is tied to the Kiev government. Eastern Ukraine is a largely ethnic Russian population. And when the coup happened in February 2014, laws were passed which told people they could not speak Russian, that the uh, special autonomous status that the Eastern Ukraine had was taken away from it. And then when the Eastern Ukrainians protested, there were attacks that went in there. People may remember 30-something uh, people were killed in a fire at a, a Union Hall in Odessa that was set by neo-Nazi units tied to the Ukrainian military. So what Putin did is he sent in some aid to help the people in the Eastern Ukraine republics. This was in 2015. And they also already were in Crimea. So they set up a referendum where the people voted 90% to, to uh, rejoin Russia because Crimea had been Russian until 1956. Now, the real issue, though, is why all of a sudden did the United States discover the importance of a sovereign democratic Ukraine? Well, the fact is the United States didn't discover that. The West didn't discover that. There was a coup, a regime change coup, pulled off by people tied to George Soros, to Victoria Nuland. Biden was the point man for this for the Obama administration in 2014. And they used the muscle of neo-Nazi, actual Nazi militia units in the Maidan Square to pull off the coup. Now, the Russians don't want to have an armed NATO force on their border. As Putin said, if you bring in these new weapons, you have missiles that could hit Moscow in five to seven minutes. So he went back to the 1990 agreement between James Baker and Mikhail Gorbachev, where the US said, if you accept a peaceful reunification of Germany and disband the Warsaw Pact, NATO will not move one inch eastward. That was in 1990. Now, the problem is Gorbachev never got that in writing. So the typical lawyer's trick is, well, we don't have it in writing, so it doesn't exist. Oh. NATO has moved 600-something miles closer to the Russian border. So the Russians are saying, we need security guarantees. 
And the West is saying, no, we won't give them to you. But as you know, this is a cover for something else. But I just wanted to set the stage for what's happening in Ukraine. I want to talk about also what I published. It was the CIA operation to train the Ukrainian forces to fight against the Russians. And that's a very well-documented operation. And they have, um, and I published it in that same report where they have operatives talking about this and on record. So we've been funding that operation and training their forces for a while. So that 120,000 forces that you're talking about, how we've trained them, right? We trained some of them. And we, what we did is train special forces for sabotage. And they're doing that. They're going into Eastern Ukraine and conducting sabotage. They're using Turkish drones to hit small villages. Uh, but the important thing is what the Russians think is that the deployment of these forces is designed to trigger an attack on the pro-Russian forces that would provoke as a false flag, the Russians moving into Ukraine. Now, one thing I can tell you about Putin, he's not gonna go into a situation where he's gonna to have to take over a basket case country. And Ukraine is a basket case now. Ukraine is about to default on its foreign debt. And this is part of the whole bigger story that the Maidan coup brought in the International Monetary Fund. Ukraine was a middle level income country in Europe in 2014. It wasn't prosperous, but it wasn't poor. Now it's the third poorest country in Europe as a result of the International Monetary Fund. Not only is it poor, but it's the highest per capita debt ratio in Europe. And so the West has destroyed Ukraine, but they're using it as a battlefield to launch operations against Russia, as you said, with, with CIA and British special forces being sent in. Oh, I'm sure. It's more than just the CIA. Okay, but there's a backdrop. Like I said, every 21 years or so, these currencies, the whole economic system resets. And they meet together, they reset, they figure out how they can continue to control it for the next cycle the same people control it. But why? I want to ask you two questions here. Why this scenario as that the backdrop? And why does war help them do this reset? Why is war critical to a success of a reset? Well, let me get to the second question second. The first question, uh, look, what's happening is that Russia is opposed to the Great Reset, because the Great Reset is a policy based on taking away national sovereignty. The whole idea, that as it was drafted by people like Larry Fink of BlackRock, Mark Carney, the former director of the Bank of England, Klaus Schwab, Prince Charles, the whole idea of the Great Reset is take away from governments the power to uh, invest in their own economy. And the reason they're trying to do that is because there's such a huge debt overload on the whole world. You know, the world is drowning in debt. The biggest banks are holding trillions of dollars of worthless financial instruments. And they're trying to figure out how to keep the, the situation going with liquidity. But that's what's triggering inflation. And so they move to the next phase. The Great Reset basically says that central banks will take over not only currency and credit policy, monetary policy, but also spending policy, fiscal policy. In other words, the central banks who are really arms of the biggest private banks and financial institutions 
are going to be given the power that used to be in the hands of elected legislatures. It's a banker's dictatorship, as you talked about before. Yeah, a central, central banker's, banker's dictatorship. dictatorship. Yeah. And and Putin is like, hell no, this is not, we should all be hell no, this is not what we want. So Putin's fighting it. And so it's a it's just convenient to go after Putin because they're going after China, they're going after Putin, they're going after all sorts of, but it's convenient is what you're saying. Well, it's not just convenient, it's essential for them because you saw what happened at the COP26 conference in Glasgow. The attempt, the, the Great Reset is directly connected with the Green New Deal. The idea that we're going to yep. hollow out manufacturing, we're going to shut down energy efficiency, we're going to stop investing in, in uh, advanced technologies, and we're going to turn the whole world basically into something that looks like sub-Saharan Africa. And they're going to do that so they can loot the populations, they can create credit which will be on the national debt of countries. But at the same time, they're going to control the spending so that any money a country makes, whether it's through selling raw materials or anything like that, the first payments have to go to the international banks. Now, this is what was done to Russia from 1992 until 1999. It was called shock therapy. It was the so-called transition to a market economy. It wasn't a transition to a market economy. It was grand larceny. The Russian oligarchs and KGB operatives worked together with the London banks, the Wall Street banks, Harvard economists like Jeffrey Sachs. And this was the, the Clinton team that went in and looted the country. The death rate skyrocketed. The birth rate collapsed. Russia was in a profound demographic crisis when Putin came in. Now, it's taken him 20 years to start reversing that. Russia's finally increasing its population. It's had enormous advances in science and technology. It has almost no debt. It has a hard currency. And what they're saying to the rest of the world is don't listen to Klaus Schwab. It seems like that's what they're doing to the United States, what they did to Russia from 92 to the year 2000, approximately that decade, is what it seems like is happening here, but on steroids. Exactly, exactly. You see, their strategy, they have no way of, or let's just say this, they don't want to revive an industrial economy in the United States. The main reason they targeted Donald Trump had nothing to do with white nationalism or, or things of that sort. It's that Trump on some level understood that Russia and the United States shared a commitment to the idea of sovereignty based on the power to protect your country, protect your currency, protect your industry. So Trump was against the free trade agreements. He was against the Green New Deal. And in that sense, he was a co-thinker with Putin. Now, if the United States and Russia, and then China also, because Trump had some very significant talks with Xi Jinping in the first part of his administration. If you had China, Russia, and the United States, and probably India working together, Europe would come over immediately, maybe not the United Kingdom, but Europe would see this as the way out of the crisis created by the European Union. Well, isn't Germany teetering on that anyways, because they get so much of their um, oil and gas from Russia? Well, not just that, they sell a lot to Russia. Yeah, so they're kind of uh, teetering on siding with Russia anyway. Well, what we're right? seeing now is something very interesting, because the German foreign minister is a, an airhead. Her name is Annalena Baerbach. She was a gymnast and she was put up as the representative of the Green Party. She's a mouthpiece for NATO. 
But the chancellor, Schultz, is in more in the tradition going back to Helmut Schmidt, Billy Bront, back when you had social democrats who actually cared about the population and cared about peace. The Green Party has become a war party. Most of the parties in Germany, like the Democrats and Republicans in the United States, are pro-war. Why? That's where the money is. That gets to the second point you're making, Sarah. Why do they want war? I mean, there are two aspects. Well, wait, wait one brief thing. Why does, now Putin would interfere because he has a different thing, but why does that matter to them? Because Putin's economy isn't that big. What of an obstacle can Putin, Putin put in front of them to screw up their plans? Well, let's look at what happened in Syria. The United States, according to Mike Flynn, was arming and training the jihadists to overthrow the Assad government. The Russians stepped in and stopped it. The Russians just stepped in and stopped the color revolution coup in Kazakhstan, which is a large country, very small population, but rich in raw materials. And there was an effort by the same networks that overthrew the government of Ukraine in 2014, the Soros networks, the National Endowment for Democracy, they tried to overthrow the Kazakh government. Putin, again, through the Collective Security Treaty Organization, came in and crushed it. And you know what they found? In addition to the people who were in the streets protesting the high cost of liquid petroleum, which, by the way, went up because of the spot market speculation, in addition to those people, that was the cover for the color revolution. They caught jihadis from Iraq, Afghanistan, and Syria who were the ones who were beheading policemen and shooting security officers in Kazakhstan. Oh, so the same MO, the use of terrorists to overthrow sovereign governments, to create confrontation, to break up potential. And here's where the Russia-China thing is important. Look, the Chinese are, are a mixed bag in this because you know, the, the Chinese social system, of course, we do the same thing now in the United States. But what the Chinese have done, which makes sense, is they're cracking down on speculation and they're continuing to invest in new technologies, transportation and, and so on, uh, energy resources. And they're extending that to Eurasia. Russia and China with India represent a powerful potential to break the control of the city of London, Wall Street bankers over international finance. Well, and they created their own BRICS, their exchange system. Well, they have the BRICS Bank. They have the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Yep. They have collective security operations. So what was the first thing the United States did after we pulled our troops out of Afghanistan? We announced that we're going to set up an Asian NATO to contain China. We have confrontation going on over the Taiwan Straits and over Ukraine. So the old strategy going back to the globalists around Harry Truman, which was to contain Russia. Now then the Soviet Union was different. The Soviet Union actually was bent on world domination, but they couldn't do it because their system didn't work. Putin has learned something from studying the United States that if you use whatever hard money you have to generate credit for physical production, for scientific research, uh, for, for protection, hypersonic missiles, for example. The Chinese are doing the same thing. They have small military budgets compared to the United States, but ours are bloated by the fact that we have this whole military industrial complex in Alexandria, Virginia, 
contractors, subcontractors. We're not focused. We're not focused on advancement. We're focused on spending money and, and corruption. And stealing money. Yeah, if we were focused yeah. on advancing our people and technology, I mean, I've covered technology for years and I, I, I keep being appalled at, well, this is what got me into the, the other end of what I'm doing now is the walls that were put up on technology that could really help humanity and they kept not letting it happen. So yeah. if anything, they're an obstacle. We're almost in a middle ages of science because of these guys. Well, and to, to put it in a nutshell, what you have is a British system, which has dominated the world since World War II, but especially since 1971, uh, actually going back to 63 after the assassination of John Kennedy, because Kennedy didn't like that. Kennedy was moving against the Federal Reserve. He was moving against the confrontation with the Soviet Union. He was trying to establish a detente policy, uh, and he was murdered by the same people who launched the attacks on Trump, the intelligence community uh, working together with foreign interests, especially the British. And the central bankers, yeah. right? It's, it all comes back to yeah. the central bank. So why does war, and you can get into this, finish your thought and then get into this, why does war help them do a reset? Well, there, there are two aspects to it. One is they want to target any country that's going to break out of the, the existing system. But before, let me just go back to what happened in 71. Nixon took the dollar off gold reserve and set up the basis for, under George Shultz and Paul Volcker, a floating exchange system. The floating exchange system essentially meant that there would be a, new financial instruments that were speculative and that instead of generating credit from a central bank for physical production, it would be more profitable to go into these new financial instruments. Now, the problem they had is we had regulations against that, going back to the Depression, the Glass-Steagall legislation, the Regulation Q for the mortgage uh, and savings and loans. They did away with all of that in the 80s and 90s. And in 1999, when they repealed Glass-Steagall, that meant that commercial banks became essentially the same as investment banks. And when they blew out the world economy in 2008, we should have used that as an opportunity to go back to regulated banking, where money did go into research and development and into science and technology. We should have gone back to that and done an orderly bankruptcy reorganization and jailed some of the speculators. Instead, what did we do under first Bush and then Obama? We bailed them out. Tens of trillions of dollars went to bail out the speculators. What's worse now, right? We showed the graph. Yeah. And I'll show it during the show. We're, we're, on, we're on steroids now. It's worse now because what happened is we never solved the problem. We let the derivative dealers continue to function. We ensured that money did not go into local banks, regional banks to help farmers, to help small business. Instead, it went to where the money is, namely speculation. But speculation builds up a lot of debt because at a certain point, when people realize that the speculative instruments they're buying have nothing backing them up and they're worthless. The question is, do you write them off or do you try to sell them to some other sucker? And how do you sell them to another sucker? The Fed comes along and creates huge volumes of liquidity that go into the hands of the swindlers. And so they can keep on their books assets of no value, junk bonds, things like that, 
but continue to sell them, buy and sell them and get a profit each time they do that. Now, what does that do? Eventually it causes inflation. And we've been warning since the Jackson Hole Wyoming meeting in, in uh, August of 2019, yep. that's what they were doing. I think you and I had a couple of discussions of that. Yeah, yep, that was now, good. The new information that's come out the, the one useful thing about Dodd-Frank, which for the most part is fascist banking legislation, but the one useful thing is they require that the Fed six quarters later report on what actually happened six quarters ago. So on December 30th, when no one was paying attention, they released the fourth quarter of 2019 figures. And that's when they started bailing out the repo markets from the Fed. That's when we started realizing that holy crap, this is 2008 looks like nothing compared to what they're doing now. Well, because there was so much uh, of this derivative trading and so much of this uh, uh, betting on, on instruments moving one way or the other. But in the meantime, corporations were not investing in new plant and equipment, new technology, new research. They were buying their own stock to increase the bonuses for the CEOs. And the, with the Trump tax bill, unfortunately, it gave them a flood of new cash, but they had no restriction on what to do with it. Whereas the Kennedy investment tax credit said, you get the tax credit if you invested in plant and equipment, research and development, and so on. So what happened is corporations were becoming zombie corporations, which means they didn't make enough profit to pay the interest on their debt. So they had to go to the Federal Reserve, or actually they went to their bankers for overnight loans to do accounting manipulations to stay in business. Now in September 17, 2019, instead of needing a couple billion a night to do that, all of a sudden they needed 20 billion and then 30 billion. And JP Morgan Chase went to the Fed and said, the banking system can't do this. Interbank lending will not cover this amount, this volume of need. And then the Fed stepped in and, and took over the repo markets. Within weeks, this escalated from 20 billion a night to 50 billion a night to up to 150 billion a night. And then instead of having to balance the books the next day, they could keep rolling it over day after day till it became a permanent bailout. And that's what we have now, right? I mean, it's yeah. still continuing to this day. Well, the figures that were released on December 30th showed that there were $11.8 trillion in quantitative easing money that went directly from the New York Fed to the leading banks. There were about 20 banks, but eight of them got most of the money. But that was six quarters ago, right? Yeah, six quarters ago. Where are we now? Well, it, it's pro estimated anywhere from 14 to 24 trillion more since then. More, not just total, more. more. So now yeah. we're talking maybe 34 trillion. Something like that. Now here's the interesting thing. Six or eight banks got something like 90% of the repo money. They included JP Morgan Chase, Citibank, Bank of America, uh, Goldman Sachs, and then Nomura, a foreign bank, Deutsche Bank. Uh, there was a, a French bank. So we were bailing out European and Asian banks. We did that back in 2008. We were bailing. I was looking at those yeah, numbers yeah. We, when they did that partial yeah. audit where money was going to all these foreign banks, but that's what's happening. Yeah, well, here's the point that's I because want to make. it's a worldwide central deal. Sorry, this, this is the important part of the scandal. The bank, the, the money was going through the New York Fed and the New York Fed is a private bank, just as the Federal Reserve System is private. 
The three leading shareholders of the New York Fed are J.P. Morgan Chase, Goldman Sachs, and Citigroup, which means that those three banks were getting the Federal Reserve to give them free money to play with that was basically their money, uh, or it was created for trillions. them. So, trillions. Yeah. I mean, we're not talking a little bit. They got trillions. trillions. Yeah. And that's why we have inflation right now, because the money that's being generated is going into the pockets of billionaires. It's going into the pockets of Silicon Valley. It's not going into the physical economy. And then you add to that the effect of the lockdowns and the COVID situation. And you can see that we've had a squeezing out of anything that's, that's part of the physical economy, you know, restaurants, yes. uh, travel. Yes, they're killing the economy. Let me ask you, now, this made me think, they're, they're getting trillions. Are they using this trillions to buy up everything they can when the reset happens so that they have all these assets? Well, of course they are. I mean, you, you, you look at something like that's exactly. look at BlackRock, the, the world's largest asset. They're buying up neighborhoods. Yeah. They're buying up tens of thousands of foreclosed homes, and they're going to turn them into high-priced rental units. And so people who are losing their homes through foreclosure, or who just have to sell to because to, they can't afford it, are not going to have the money to live. This is incredible. They're, ta they're taking our, they're, they're giving them trillions with our tax money and, and our, it's a, they're going to set it on us. And they're giving it to them to buy stuff from us. At the same time, they're shutting down the economy and creating a perfect situation. So all these business, 40%, just read this this morning, 40% of businesses went bankrupt because of their policies. And now they're buying out all these assets and giving them the money to do it. And 44% of government bonds issued in the last two years are at junk bond or just slightly above level, which means that they're being rolled over to stay uh, liquid but they're not solvent. And this is an important point in economics, the difference between liquidity and solvency. You can create liquidity through the Federal Reserve by printing money or just plunking down a number on a computer, but that doesn't create solvency. And eventually you're going to have a series of defaults. Now, here's the, the, the point that gets to this question of why war. Yeah, why war? Um, That's important. The, the IMF and the World Bank put out a report last week that said that there are 54 countries that face immediate debt crises, that they may default. Uh, these are the poorest, uh, most ill-liquid countries, uh, but the most indebted countries, including Ukraine, by the way. Now, 47% of that debt is owed to private banks. That's something people don't know. They think it's all government loans or uh, uh, from the International Monetary Fund and, and so on. But half of the total debt that's about to be defaulted is in pension funds, it's in equity funds, it's your retirement funds. That's about to blow out. Now, if they raise interest rates, the ability to borrow, to pay that, to, to keep those debts from defaulting disappears. And it will trigger a domino style effect of defaults first from foreign countries, secondly from US corporations, and then it will hit the banking system. They'll bail out the big guys, but they'll let your local bank go under. Everybody, that everybody small will go under. They're just gonna bail out their friends and the globalists. Now, 
This also means that there'll be a big effect on the stock markets because people think, well, my stocks are still doing pretty well. Look what happened in, in the last time they had four rate hikes in a year was 2018. In the fourth quarter of 2018, Standard & Poor's fell almost 14%. The Dow index was down 12% and the NASDAQ went down 17.5% in one quarter. We're looking at that kind of bloodbath. Now, the, the argument that they're going to use is that, well, it's too much government spending, it's people are living too high, and, and we, that's why we need the Great Reset, and that's why we need the Green New Deal. Because we care about you. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's what their message is. Yeah. And then when we see as this thing was being ushered in, they went into this incredible volume of liquidity creation at the end of 2019 to bail themselves out. Now, the Russians and the Chinese rejected the Glasgow summit, the, the Green New Deal. The Indians said, we're not giving up coal because coal is the main way we, we uh, provide electricity to our country. The Americans really don't want to give up fossil fuels and, and coal and, and electricity. We remember what happened in Texas last February or in California. Well, what's going on now is uh, people, everyday people have seen, and where I live, have seen their gas bill, their heating bill triple. Yeah. Excel Energy, the local gas company, like local heating company, has tripled their bills. Most people can't handle that. My parents went from $130 to $500 a month. Well, here, here where I live in Potsdam, the electric rates went up 40% in November. In Italy, they're going up 60%, and landlords are shutting off heat this winter because they can't afford to keep their apartment buildings warm. Well, they went up 300% here in one yeah. month. I, I, that's We're in a cold area, yeah. but my God. So the, the question then is, how do you deal with this? If you had the physical power, the military power to impose your will, which they tried to do, the, the, um, they tried to get through the United Nations past a proposal to set up climate police that would be military units under the UN that could go around the world and make sure that no one's using up too much electricity, too much oil and gas.